Hello and welcome to episode three of Corecast, the Core Punk podcast. I'm your host, the creator called Boast, and with me tonight we have not one, but two guests from the Core Punk community. Our first guest is someone you should know by now. That's right, Devalin returns tonight. That's D V A L I N D K on YouTube. Catch his regular content creation there, and lately also on Twitch. D V A L I N on Twitch. Hello, Devalin, and welcome back to Corecast. Thank you, and thank you for having me again. It's an absolute pleasure. Great to have you back, and great to have a second guest as well. Our second guest for tonight is Dragom. That's D R A G O M on Discord. He's an active member of the CorePunk community and a creative community-driven games player running a fairly populated Minecraft server and a Planet Side 2 outfit, among other endeavors. He's also active in the CoreCast podcast community already with a topic credited to him, and he's responsible for helping with the English-to-Russian, Russian-to-English translations happening on the Discord server. So big thanks from the community for that. Hello, Dragom. Welcome to CoreCast. Hello, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, two guests tonight. It's an awesome uh, change of pace, and it's going to be great to uh, hear some other perspectives on the game CorePunk. But before we get started, I just want to say again, thank you to those that have listened to the first episodes and have contributed topics or guest suggestions. Sincere thanks for your support so far. Okay, our first topic of the night was provided by Laquilare, a.k.a. Manny, from the Discord server, who says you should talk about fair pricing for games in this genre. And, well, I like the suggestion because it has segued into the topic that we will first talk about tonight. I don't think it's fair to provide our opinions on pricing for games in this genre. I feel that's a very objective opinion. And what I would pay for a game in this genre is not necessarily what you would pay for a game in this genre. This factors in a lot of things. Your experience with games, your experience with pay models, your experience as a gamer versus a developer, and your experience um, just overall with your satisfaction and joy that you've gotten out of games and what you had uh, either paid for them or didn't pay for them going into that. So that said... This has turned into what will be a payment model discussion because I think it's very relevant to this game. It's relevant to all games now uh, because this is such a hot topic for everyone. And there is also a lot of confusion on what payment models actually are and what they mean uh, for the gamer and for the developer. So I would like to sort of start with uh, essentially some ideas of what payment models are and can be, and then we will talk about uh, our different experiences with them, what we've liked, what we haven't liked, and what we maybe think could work for this game. And uh, I, I think it's really a great place to start. I think it's probably the hottest topic of the night, uh, but this will be a great one uh, to kick off. So I'm going to list uh, down some possible payment models and, and what they mean here. And there may be others that sort of deviate from this a little bit, and that's no problem. Um, if you want to share your suggestions in the chat uh, on any of the platforms that we release this podcast on, feel free to do so because, again, this is just from our experience as well. But just a quick overview of possible payment models. There's 
the buy to play and then there's the free to download. And the buy to play is the buy to download. You're buying the game at a set price. And then there's some uh, options beyond that. Once you've bought the game, is there a, sus- a subscription and is there DLC? Now, in this case, I'm saying DLC in relation to just anything you can buy, microtransactions, um, if you're adding expansions to it, anything you buy after the initial purchase of the game, cosmetics, any, any little payment after that. So you have buy to play, no subscription, no DLC. Buy to play, no subscription, yes, DLC. Buy to play, yes, subscription, no DLC. And then buy to play, yes, subscription, and yes, DLC. You also have free to download. And I said free to download because it's not necessarily free to play. It's free to download the game. You get the launcher, you're able to download the client. Um, But then there are potentially some payments attached to that after. Free to download, no subscription, yes, DLC. So you get the game for free. There is no subscription cost, but then there are things that you can purchase uh, to enhance your, your experience or enhance your looks in the game. Uh, and then there's free to download, yes, subscription, and yes, DLC. So uh, this is a big, fat intro to a big, fat discussion. And I'm now going to turn it over to the capable conversation of Devalin and Dragum. And since he's our new guest tonight, Dragum, I'm going to start with you. And if there's anything that I missed here that you think is is super important to the conversation, uh, feel free to say so. Um, and then also, uh, please share with us a, a, a payment method that you've actually enjoyed or felt value from in your history as a gamer. Mm, okay. So Bose decided to put the newbie on the spotlight from the get-go. I see how it is. <laughs> Welcome to CoreCast. Yes, indeed. So um, the illicit payment uh, models, I think, are pretty uh, well self-explanatory and... It's enough to describe the payment models in gaming in general. And um, to go point by point, I think we should start from the top, from a very like basic and um, straightforward payment, which is you, it's buy-to-play without a subscription or without DLCs. It's, as I said, it's a very basic model, and uh, you get what you paid for, but in this multiplayer environment, uh, I think it's not very relevant because, as I said, uh, in multiplayer, there are a lot of players and um, uh, MMOs uh, have a lot of content put in it, probably more than any other genre, because it has to be consistent over time for players to keep playing the game and so i think it has to be expensive enough to sustain this mmo model which i don't think a lot of players will be looking forward to so i don't think it's too viable for core punk specifically it might be valuable for valid for some other games but not for core punk in my mind 
Yeah, traditionally, the buy-to-play, no subscription, no DLC has been like a $60 or €70 Mm -hmm. uh, box product, um, which was normally like a uh, single-player story-driven experience, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're you're off to a great start, uh, especially as being put on the spot. So, okay, scratching that one out. And I think it needed to be mentioned just so we can have some clarity for um, those that are still confused on these topics. Uh, but after that is buy to play, no subscription, but yes, DLC. So the potential of having purchases beyond that. Yes. And um, here it gets more real, I think, in, in, um, in the sense that uh, artificial core, uh, core might implement that. Because the game itself starts being less expensive because you have more products to sell, basically, to more players. And so you have, you can, you have the option to lower the price of any product you're selling. And, uh, but it gets more difficult because you have to choose which is the core... Uh, ah, C, core? Nice. Anyways, um, <laughs> which is the core product and which is going to be put into DLC. And speaking of DLCs, um, I think we can more talk about what DLCs for MMOs can be. Mm-hmm. Because when we think DLCs, we think, um, like, not horse armor in Oblivion, obviously, anymore, but something more like WoW expansions, probably. So it's content that's completely like uh, it was not in the game anywhere near the level it is in DLCs. And uh, maybe it's even obligatory to have once you once it's out. So you can play without it. Yeah, this is a yeah, sorry. I was going to say that's a, a, a really good point because uh, this is another part of the conversation, um, whether you can play without it or not. Yeah. So, yeah, this this is conversations definitely opening a can of worms because you brought up another great point there as well, which was uh, if you, with no subscription and yes to DLC, um, this is going to um, allow the, the developers to set the buy price potentially lower Mm -hmm. and like you said this is a a, an extreme balancing act of uh where do you set that entry level price so that it's fair and that it it also encourages players to to buy the dlc absolutely yeah and potentially the player can have more content with dlcs and uh buy to play than just a 60 dollar piece of game Potentially, right. it might be even cheaper than some sixty-dollar games because it gets added on uh, later in the game, later on. But it may not. It basically depends on the developers whether or not they would put out enough content to sort of, I don't know, make sense of the pricing, so to speak. Yeah, I think this one is is probably looking at all of these the hardest one for the developer uh, because they need to determine um, what they offer later and they need to determine from that you know what a good price is to to buy into the game in the first place and then the the other part of that is there's a lot of times the um, 
sort of uh, complaints from the community that the DLC content should have been in the original game in the first place mm -hmm. and that it was just cut to then sell DLC later. But if you have a good buy-in price, a lower buy-in price, then that can be less of a, a complaint. Yeah. So. And it widens the audience potentially, like providing more gameplay like uh, available for players and maybe it widens the selling audience as well. So the company does well off financially and so they have more motivation to keep on with the project and so on. Okay, Devalin, we've heard about two possible payment options in the payment models discussions. Buy to play, no subscription, no DLC, and buy to play, no subscription, yes, DLC. Uh, as Dragon mentioned, the first one is essentially uh, not a relevant option here, and we most likely won't see it for Core Punk. Uh, but buy to play, no subscription, yes, DLC. Uh, talk about these two options, what you've experienced in your gaming history, and what you think about these two options. Mm. Well, I, I would definitely agree with Dra Dragon that the first one is not going to happen no matter what, because that sounds like, you know, uh, that could possibly be a single player game. That comes out, releases, and then the content is gone, and the company earns the money they want. Right. But in this case, yeah, I know they for sure want to make this game something we still play in ten or fifteen years, like World of Warcraft. Uh, but World of Warcraft was actually a bad word saying because they have a subscription that I don't think they will have too. Uh, I agree that I think the closest that we would get probably is that Co-Punk will go the way that they they like the you have to buy the game for maybe 30, 40 bucks. Uh, just saying, uh, number. I don't. I don't think it will be a sixty bucks, but that's, that's normally only Blizzard and EA games and Ubisoft that goes up mm -hmm. that high. Right. It's like a triple A game, and I don't think they are going to aim for the triple A market. Uh, so they're probably doing a, like a thirty, forty bucks. Like I know Albion costed in the old days. They actually think it costs twenty five or something. Um, and then definitely they're going to have a lot of DLCs. Uh, probably every year, one DLC every year. But it, it's going to cost, and you have to buy it for actually getting into it. And as Dragon said, I really hope it, the DLCs, the expansions is going to be like World of Warcraft, where they actually change or mix up the world again, like really creating a new thing to talk about and not just like, oh, there's a new island over there that's explored when we have time. Uh, mm. It needs to be some kind of a big thing that like shake the whole world or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 just for shaking this conversation, I actually think there is a chance. You're probably both not a fan of it, but that I think there is a big chance that this game is going to be free to play with a very big cosmetic shop. Mm -hmm. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're a big fan of Guild Wars 2, as we know by now, Devalin. And as you mentioned uh, previously, this is a, a buy in, you buy the game. Uh, you download the game. There's app. There's absolutely no subscription, um, but there are tons of options, both cosmetically and with expansions, uh, that you can then invest into, and it's worked for them. They are still uh, an active game, and uh, it was something that, as a player, I loved because. I didn't have to worry about this monthly subscription. And more than likely, I was investing that money back into the game anyway with uh, some amazing cosmetics or uh, changing the appearance of my character or, or whatever it was I felt like spending money on at that point. Um, 
I can definitely say that I was paying that subscription or what would be the subscription price anyway uh, with cosmetic content and then picking up the expansions later. So that brings us to buy to play, yes, subscription, no DLC, which uh, no DLC in this day and age seems like not, not a, a relevant option regardless. Uh, and then buy to play, yes, subscription, yes, DLC. So, um, the uh, the three way take from the developer paying to download the game, paying a monthly subscription, and then also on top of that, uh, buying mounts and cosmetics and things like that uh, with the DLC coverage as well. Um, Dragon, back to you. How did these two feel for you? What's your experience with these in the past? Yeah, so probably the game that des- describes this kind of. Um payment model is the best uh, out of the ones that I've played is probably Elder Scrolls Online because yeah. it has A, it is buy to play, B, it has subscription, which is not necessary, but we'll talk about it later, and C, it has DLCs. Their payment model is quite smart in a way that I think someone on the um, on the core punk, uh, uh, Discord server. We were discussing this problem, this uh, well, this question, and uh, someone said that their friend counted up the uh, all the money you have to collect in order to buy all the like buy, not to sub to get, but to buy the stuff you get, and it uh, counts up to something like two hundred and fifty dollars for a game. Okay. And that's that's uh, plus on top of that. Then you're also still paying the subscription, right? No, it's it's um, so the subscription works in a way that you get some stuff, like you get the uh, like a crafting bag, more stuff for your housing and stuff like that. But more, most importantly, you get access to the DLC. I see. As long as you pay the sub. Uh, okay, Star Wars: The Old Republic is actually similar to that as well. Mm. It's uh, free to play. Um, it actually changed to a free-to-play model, so I paid top dollar collector's edition for it when it came out, um, and then a subscription on top of that, as well as DLC. It's now free-to-play, but it does have this um, similar structure to what you just described. It unlocks with the subscription a lot of things that are just uh, either quality of life things that you're mm-hmm. sort of like locked behind, and then also once you've purchase that subscription, um, then you can access uh, all of the extra content as well. Um, so I, I understand this system from there. So yeah, this is a this is a good point. And you you like this system as a player? Um, I think I like it if it is well implemented. Okay. And in ESO, in my mind, it is not well implemented at all. Because what what happens is if you want to start crafting in that game, you have to get a subscription because it is impossible to do without the crafting bag you get for, I don't know how much, probably 15 bucks a month. Okay. I haven't looked up the, the pricing, so don't put my word on that. Don't quote me on that. Okay, yeah, it's the same for Star Wars The Old Republic. Um, you can live as a free-to-play player, but you're severely limited. And uh, it, it, it almost does force you to buy the subscription. The inter- interesting thing there is that a lot of the content that you get with a subscription 
uh, if you want to remain a free-to-play player, you can buy it a la carte, meaning that you can unlock extra uh, toolbars, you can unlock extra characters and all the things that you would get automatically uh, in little bite-sized pieces. Um, but then this is a, a crazy way to do it because you're paying for all of these things uh, premium. And and then at some point, if you do pay the subscription, you don't get a refund on any of this stuff, even though mm, they're unlocked anyway. Yeah, so that's a that's a tough way to do it. Um, so yes, so far great conversation uh, on these uh, different payment models in the buy to play or buy to download, uh, so to speak, section. Next. We have free to download, no subscription, yes, DLC, and free to download, yes, subscription, yes, DLC. So uh, this is your typical free-to-play game, Um, but as we've just discussed, it can be done in many different ways. And um, honestly, at the end of the day, you know the the developer or the publisher or whoever is making these decisions is trying to run a business, and so they are going to make these decisions uh, with the intention of getting us to pay money to play the game, whether it's through a subscription or whether it's through buying the game or whether it's through what we just dis- uh, discussed, which is um, you know buying these quality of life items. So that said these quality of life items or the systems that we just described with uh, ESO or uh, Star Wars Old Republic is that they are done in a way where it's more beneficial for you as a player, uh, for your sanity as a player, uh, to end up paying the subscription or buying the game or whatever it is. So uh, drag them free to download, no subscription, yes subscription. And then in this day and age, there's always some DLC, right? So I just said yes DLC on both of these. So... The, I think the best uh, free-to-play payment systems are uh, what are nowadays implemented in some of the bigger MMOs, like um, like uh, Dwalner has already mentioned Guild Wars 2 and uh, EVE Online and Warframe. And especially, I think the uh, Guild Wars 2 would work well with Corpunk because I personally like the system where you have a sort of trial, quote-unquote, type of profile, try type of character in the beginning, which is free-to-play and still has a lot of content for you. I am not sure, but I think you can max level on a free-to-play character in Guild Wars 2. I haven't played the game in a while. Oh, you can. Yes. But even if... That is something that you know you enjoy it and you want more. You're free to uh, pay for the full game and keep on going, basically. And I think it's a very um, respectful towards the player type of uh, model, which I just, which I really like in a gaming company, where they respect their player instead of making them pay basically how it is in Elder Scrolls online in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a this is a really good point because this is a tough decision to make um but it's an honest decision from the developer because the only way that this uh system you just described is, is going to work is if the game is fun 
and hooks the player into wanting to play more. Otherwise, they just got so many hours of of a free game, and then they can put it down again. Uh, so they, you know, as a developer, they really need to stand by. Um, the fact that they believe that their product will be successful and they believe that you will jump in there, you will play this game for free, and then you will be hooked and want to uh, start paying into the payment method. Dragum? Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Devalin. Uh, what do you think about these two, these free to download, uh, potentially subscription, potentially not subscription, and uh, DLC models play out? Well, I mean... Um, look at the model that Albion Online is actually running, uh, where they have you know the game is free to play, and you you basically don't have to pay anything for play the game. You can get the subscription in the game for just grinding and getting silver from killing mobs. Um, but it has a subscription, but it doesn't have at the moment, as we know, DLCs. It could come. That module is actually really appealing because you can get so many people in to play that game without any fear. Of course, I also have a little bit of fear that they could actually earn more money than they did already do now because you can basically play the game without paying anything. And that's that's a weird business model because it's it, it is a business. Um but Guild Wars 2 is using a well I mean, it was buy to play in old days, and today it's free to play, and I see why. And as you, and also, just Dragon says that it's it's smart that you can play the game, and if you wanna have more, you can always buy the expansions. But I'm really having a hard time finding an MMO that is free to play today that is actually successful. Yeah, I mean, can we actually mention any MMO right now that is successful and free to play? Like completely free to play without any type of monetization. No, they they can have monetization, but it's free to download and free to to play the first few hours. Fortnite. Well, I, I'm uh, well. I can't say that's an MMO. I think this is a this is a completely different animal, and it, it's successful for for different reasons. But I think to answer your question. Um, it's, it seems like, no, the, the ones that have this model uh, don't tend to last from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Dragon, I follow, 100% follow you that Fortnite is, of course, a beast and a really good free-to-play game. Uh, but, I mean, MMO-wise, MMORPG... Yeah, mm, okay, I get you. Yeah, MMORPG, I can't find... I mean, of course, Albion Online, but, I mean, is it actually successful? I mean, it probably have maybe... I mean, on Steam, it has like five, ten thousand online users, so that's not much. But of course, the real original normal game they have could probably have hundred thousand. But I again, think, the no- yeah. I think point? even I was saying that I think even Line is doing pretty nice financially and uh, in in the uh, and audience wise because they are they keep on getting like one of the biggest battles in the online realm, so to speak, and. Uh, I think the it just shows how much how big of an audience they have and how well they are off. Yeah, I think I, I think this is that's a, actually a very good example. It's also a game that's been around for a long time now um, and has uh, an extremely dedicated fan base. Um, that said, uh, I think this solution that you brought up, Tvalin, by being able to essentially secure your subscription um, by playing the game and 
buying it with the currency that you get in the game. I personally love this. And any game that I've like played that has this, I think it's so cool uh, because you are essentially rewarded for playing the game and you're w- rewarded more the more you play it. And beyond that, uh, it also gets you in the game. And when you're in the game, you're potentially going to spend money because uh, you're in the game and you're realizing that you could use this or that or you see Devaling come by on his sick polar bear mount and uh, you know you think to yourself oh man I need that as well um, but I don't have the time to get it exactly yeah you know this kind of uh, idea this is this is a much more like psychological uh, type of uh, payment model I think but uh, for me personally I, I like it because there are times when you know, uh, times are hard and I, I don't have uh, the money to prioritize a subscription um, or to get the DLC that I want to get or whatever it may be. And um, when I've had this option before, you know, I still got to play the game that I loved and I wanted to be in. And at the same time, you know, I was able to uh, support myself in there, which I think is a good feeling as a gamer. Another thing to, to mention in the... Uh... Uh, in the payment model, when you can pay for a subscription or for any kind of more like uh, higher than just free to play type of content for uh, in game purchases, is that if the game has publishers, which Corepunk might uh, eventually have, uh, it's just uh, it's just a question of. If whether or not the the initial launch will be successful. So if the game has uh, publishers, uh, what are they looking at? Like uh, from the get go, they're looking at uh, playing numbers. How many people are playing the game and for how long? And if a person has uh, this goal and the end of the very long tunnel, uh, that if they play like a hundred hours a week and stuff like that. Uh, if they do that, and they will be able to uh, pay for uh, to play the game for free, it will be immensely uh, profitable for the publisher to have this kind of mentality in players. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they're going to get some great numbers off of this uh, payment model, as you described there. Whether or not they put the money back into it and invest back in the game is another question. Yes. Hello, my name is Valen. Are you looking for a YouTuber or a content creator who will mostly talk about Corepunk and actually have met the Corepunk developers in real life and even on the Christmas day? Well, that's me. Go to youtube.com slash dvalindk, D-V-A-L-I-N-D-K. Again, youtube.com slash dvalindk. I am doing a lot of content about Corepunk, but also about other MMORPG games and RPG games. So come and follow me and follow the journey through Corepunk the game itself. Thank you and have a nice life. Okay, here is topic two in episode three. And this topic was uh, provided by Dragum. And what he suggested was that we talk about 
uh, wildlife, essentially, the creatures that are in the game, and a conversation uh, that's been discussed on the Discord, and to further explore that with the ideas of taming territorial behavior packs and things like that. So uh, kind of two sides to this. Uh, both sides I am absolutely interested in. I love creatures. I love taming pets. I love uh, having to fight these uh, big bad beasts in the world. So the question posed or the topic to discuss is wildlife, uh, taming it, the possibility of having those creatures, fighting those creatures, and how they will behave in the environment. Since this did come from Dragum, Devalin, let's start with you. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think wildlife is probably one of the most important things when you actually enjoy the start of the game. Um, and the reason for why I say start of the game is because mostly the time you use where you run around, explore the world, explore the game, then you're actually seeing the wildlife. When you when you get to end game, you probably, I mean, in many MMOs, you probably end sitting in a city, looking at the trade chat, looking at the guild chat, and doing some trading or going to raid. But at the start of the game, I think wildlife is like one, one of the most important things. It would be so cool if they have a little bit system like World of Warcraft has, where when you find animals, you can actually tame them. They they have like the system where you can tame small pets. Uh, that would be cool, but it's not necessary. I'm not really a big pet fan. Uh, I mean, it's a cool future, but I'm not really a big pet fan because in some games, pets are too much, and you just see mm -hmm. pets all over the city. <laughs> and uh, that's that's just beginning to get too much when you when you can't find out is that a pet or is that actually a monster or it's like too much. Um, so I I would say I love wildlife on in just the open world that you can run around and there's like monsters all the places. Pets and tame well tame and mounts and pets can be cool, but I probably. I'll probably myself actually downvote it when I think about it. Okay, well, I'm completely the opposite. So this is, uh, I think, a, a great topic for us to to kick off. Um, taming is, is something that I absolutely love. Uh, I might have mentioned this as part of the features of Star Wars Galaxies on the previous podcast, but as part of their feature set, uh, they not only had a beast handler, um, which you could either have as... Um, a fighting beast or as like a cosmetic beast. Um, but the way that these creatures were created uh, was actually through this player-driven uh, system where you would actually go and you would extract the DNA from any of the creatures in the environment, and then you would take it back and through these... Um, uh, these units uh, that you would purchase from the different crafters. Um, so like these uh, these pods that you would put the egg in and essentially warm it up uh, and all these things. It was this massive systems process uh, where you would you would take the DNA, you would take um, these like isos that you would extract uh, from other creatures and you would put it all together and then you would incubate the egg. And then at the end, the creature would come out, and then you would hatch the egg, and then you would have the creature. Uh, you could create mounts as well for players in the game, so that was pretty sick. 
And then uh, if you didn't create a mount and you had the creature, uh, if it had certain points put into its production, uh, then it could be a combat pet. And the combat pet you could then use if you had uh, this beast master in your, um, essentially in your like points spend, which would limit other uh, points of your tree. And then you could have a combat pet that would fight with you. Uh, so this is like, I think the full on, uh, super extreme of this. Uh, the other end is sort of what Devala mentioned, which is sort of just like this, like cosmetic, uh, little creatures that follow you around. Um, and a lot of games go super extreme to where, uh, to Devala's point of you have a, uh, a pet that fights with you. You have a, a cosmetic, uh, cute little thing that you follows you around. And then you also have, uh, like some other, uh, kind of um, <laughs> creature as well. You know, some of these games go really crazy with it. And then you have like a lot of stuff uh, just kind of sitting around and floating around you uh, all the time. Uh, back to the uh, payment models discussion, though. Um, this does encourage other players, though, to pick up pets of their own. So when you go in and, of course, Devalin's, uh point of, you know, having this, like, this city filled with, like, all kinds of crazy little um, AI creatures and stuff floating around the players gets a little crazy. Um, but when you do go into a, a place like that and you see someone with a creature you don't have before um, or that you've never seen before, um, then you might be tempted to figure out how to get that for yourself. Uh, and uh, Guild Wars 2 was crazy with that. Um, there was an entire collections process to it. And you could collect all these minis, and it made it really addicting. Uh, and to try and get uh, all the these cute little minis for your character, uh, and that game also had a, a, a basically a ranger that could tame beasts as well. So, um, uh, it, it is true. On one hand, it can get extreme. On the other hand, I think it can be a really cool feature, uh, and it really allows you to personalize your character beyond the looks of your character. Uh, to what you're running around with. And also, again, I think it does uh, potentially promote uh, people buying back into the game or spending back into the game. As far as the uh, creatures and the the territorial behaviors of the packs and things like that, I think this is really cool because like Tavalin said, when you're running around at the beginning of the game, um, you're looking for some diversity in this stuff. Uh, you don't want to just be um, attacking the same thing that, uh, or even if it's a different creature that you attack, it has the same movements and attacks and it just runs at you and tries to bite you or whatever. Uh, when they have different... Um, behaviors and how they attack and and uh, and what they do when you interact with them and uh, maybe some run away because they're scared. This is a really immersive thing for players at an early time in the game when I think that's really important. Dragum, this was your topic uh, and I, I, I think it's a great topic and so I want to hear from you what you have to say uh, in relation to this. Mm. So to add to what Bose just said on the... Uh immersiveness of the world through wildlife i think it's important to say that if you have something that behaves like an like an actual animal and not just a mob that is created to target the player it makes the world feel more alive than it like it actually is and it doesn't feel like some kind of death chamber that the player is just thrown in to die or to kill what is in front of him so it makes like for more of a choice type of thing 
where you can go straight through the forest and kill everything in your path, or you can take a path around and maybe, I don't know, loot something along the way or encounter something completely different. And on taming, I think one of the things that might be uh, quite beneficial for the game is farm animals, farming. So let's let's say, so in like in World of Warcraft, there are plenty of things that just a crafter can make, right? Which are extremely high-end and sometimes best in the slot. So let's say one of the uh, materials can be gathered from this specific animal in this specific very high-end zone, and uh, together you either kill it and uh, like uh, collect the ingredients, or you can tame it and make a farm out of it and out of this specific animal and keep selling selling this specific material, thus. Uh, providing more for the economy and for yourself. And so it might influence the economy in a way that would be pretty unique for Core Punk, in my opinion. I absolutely love this. Uh, I will be a crafter farmer in this game, <laughs> for sure. I, I love the idea of, of collecting these creatures and uh, giving them a chance to uh, support you on your farm. And being able to, like you just mentioned, uh, this whole process of uh, potentially providing uh, a material that other players need. And this is what I, I loved so much about Star Wars Galaxy's crafting and, and this whole system. And I think this really supports uh, player economy and player professions in games uh, when you are able to provide other players with materials that uh, they they can't necessarily get with their profession. And how cool would that be to have your little homestead there, uh, like we saw some hints at, and not just to be farming plants, vegetables, fruits, and things like that, uh, but to also have a little pen with it with uh, different creatures. And yeah, that would, that sounds really cool. I mean, it's, it's good we have people, for example, like you, because uh, me personally... I'm the guy who kills all the beasts. I'm the guy who goes <laughs> through the dungeons. And I go to auction house and buy the things I need. I, I would never open up the crafting tab or ever gather anything. So. See, but it's it's beneficial for you as well because if it is farmable, it means that it can be mass-produced. So the value would go down and you would be able to buy cheaper. Yeah, also, like, there, there's opens up the possibility of, um, you know, maybe you can, uh, if you are a farmer and you have cows, for example, and you're able to produce a milk that's at a higher quality than you can't actually get from, um, I don't know how you would kill a cow and take its milk, but say you could, for example, um, and in the wild, you're able to get the milk from a cow. But if you get the milk from a cow in a player farm, it has a potential, mm. like you know, mm. hit, uh, to hit for a, a crit on its uh, its durability or uh, value or um, its stats, so to speak. Yeah. So you so you can be a clan's milkman. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're the the, the clan farmer uh, providing milk and eggs and uh, fresh bread to the clan. Yeah, it's very it's a cool topic, um, and it's something we haven't really seen anything from, uh, except a, a little bit of um, some interactions. There weren't really even any creatures in the trailer, were there? 
No, I don't think so, actually. Because the mobs uh, were the mobs were sort of humanoids, weren't they? Yeah, we only we only yeah. saw a, we only saw a bear, but that one was half a mecha. Yeah, this this will be an interesting thing to see how it plays out in the game. Greetings, adventurer, and welcome to Core Punk, an MMO RPG where you'll experience fog of war in a vast, seamless open world. Miles and miles of wilderness to get lost in. Discover a small camp in the middle of nowhere. Or a busy metropolis booming with life and activity. You are free to go wherever you want. Use public transport to reach remote locations fast and safe. Begin your journey by creating a hero. Each has its own unique role, abilities, and a set of fighting styles. Complete quests for NPCs who are too busy to do it themselves. You're gonna need a better gear for that. Kill monsters to earn gold. Shred them with your best move. Uh, be careful though, they get pretty crafty when fighting as a unit. Grow crops, chop wood, mine ore. Trade goods for missing resources to craft the weapon you deserve. Suit up. It won't make you stronger, but you'll look absolutely fabulous. Choose a set of talents. Boost yourself with artifacts to become the ultimate war machine. Use fog of war wisely to hunt down and ambush your enemies. Attack those who dared to take your farming spot. Then chill in a city, show off your loot, and find reckless companions to take on a challenge that no one else has the guts for. Okay, and here we are for our topic three, our Q&A, and it was requested uh, from the community that we turn this idea of asking our guests, what is your dream class for Core Punk, into a regular question. And so tonight, uh, with Dragon being our new guest, I posed the question to Dragon. Dragon in Core Punk, if you were able to create a dream class with no restrictions to how it looks, how it behaves, uh, or how it fights, or or what it does, what would that dream class be? That's very. That's not an easy question to answer, but probably um, 
So as Dwal in, in World of Warcraft, I've loved the quality of life stuff Druid provides throughout the game. So the all the specs and the like visual representations of the spec you're in. So a a cat versus a bear versus a deer and stuff like that. So this sort of like metamorphing stuff is really cool, and I would really love for my dream class to have that. But I would probably go with something more melee-focused, but uh, I would want it to be with like magic involved. So if, if uh, any of you guys have played Dungeons & Dragons, there is a subclass for a warrior called an Eldritch Knight, which is basically like a paladin from World of Warcraft, but instead of holy magic, they use arcane magic. So spells and enchanting and all, all that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of character, character that I think is very rarely presented in any kind of video game, unfortunately. So like I would want I would really want to play a melee focused mage with a lot of function to him and a lot of quality of life stuff, like maybe teleporting from World of Warcraft would be quite quite nice. Maybe like short uh, short span one, maybe like a magic carpet and uh, something like that. And uh it it would be a melee character, so probably it would have like pretty heavy um, armor, and I would want it to be uh, like in um, encrusted, not encrusted, but engraved with all the different uh, enchantments, and uh, maybe glowing with some sort sort of how in in The Witcher the sword starts glowing when you put a, an enchantment on it and stuff like that. But con- considering that there is not really magic in core punk, and I mas- myself am a Kadari, I think, um, it would be really interesting to see this kind of uh, high-functionality uh, quote-unquote magic uh, technically uh, enchanted uh, cyberpunk night. Yes, yes, I love this. And sorry if you mentioned it and I missed it, but uh, what weapons would this cyber knight wield? Hmm, probably a sword and a shield, but a shield should uh, double as something else. Hmm. Maybe if we're talking like functionality. It can be like those uh, hybrid weapons from Monster Hunter. Very cool. I love the look of this, glowing with the, the yeah the different spells and uh, enchantments on the armor, and uh, at the same time being this um, just warrior that this techno warrior that dives in uh, to the fight. Sounds really cool. Yeah, I imagine like instead of uh, magical enchantments running through the armor, it would be like uh, lines of code running through, I don't know, some displays on the armor and stuff Mm. like that. That's cool. That's really cool. A lot of ones and zeros flying along lines of code. That's cool. It it sounds like the perfect class for you is, is the good old term, a battle mage. Yeah. 
Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when, when you tell about that one, the first thing I, that comes up in my mind is pretty much the necromancer from Guild Wars. Um, it, he doesn't have he doesn't have plate armor, but he's like this very cool two-handed melee guy, but mm. he has all this necromantic power at the same time. Um, but I, I get your cyberpunk theme also. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Devalin, this is very different from what you described. And he started out, uh, you know, with liking sort of the similar uh, class in the, the Druid and, and that sort of, um, you know, thing that you described last week for your character. But yep. uh, he ended up going in a very different direction. Um, so uh, what do you think about um, this character? Well, I mean, it sounds like a really cool, typical battle mage, plate armor, melee weapons, really not, well, standard spells, really, really cool battle mage. Um, I really dig into that. That part, you really had me. I was like really like thirsty and wanted more. But when you begin to go into the cyberpunk thing with electro armor and all that, <laughs> that that kind of turned me off because I'm like that old school who like knights, mages, and all that. <laughs> so, but I, I follow you to half of it, and then you can get the rest of it. Yeah, you want to go nature freaky with your characters. Exactly. I want old school knights, Elanians, and no no space thing. Very cool. I, I'm I'm thinking that we might need to um, somehow figure out how to uh, visualize these characters, but that's uh, that's for another day and another time. This has been Q and A, the Dream Class for Core Punk, Topic Three on the Corecast Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening to the CoreCast podcast. It's your host, Boast, and I appreciate you being here. This is a passion project for me around a game that I've high hopes for, something that has blended my absolute favorite genres into what so far looks like uh, could be an absolute masterpiece. And that's where this intensity and this excitement and this passion comes from from me i wanted to give back to the community creatively and that's how this podcast was born we're going to be putting it up on our youtube channel and on our spotify channel uh, for your consumption so please don't hesitate to subscribe like follow and join us here at the corecast podcast thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next topic. And for topic four, the risk and reward category here on the CoreCast podcast, Devalin has provided the topic content updates. Will the game have enough frequent content to keep the players in the game and active? And I think this is a make or break for a lot of games, especially in this day and age when players have so many game options and 
depending on the size of the team, it can be very hard to keep players happy and active, even if you have a regular content update scheduled. Uh, it really depends on the expectations of the players, uh, the communication of the developers, and potentially what was what was either promised or talked about uh, with the content update. I think a, a one point that I want to add at the beginning of this is that uh, a lot of players do, or sorry, a lot of devs do provide very good content calendars and pipeline uh, insights, which allow players to see what they have planned. And so this is something I suggest that all devs do and something I hope to see. Uh, this was provided by Devalin. And so, Dragum, I'm going to uh, ask for your opinion on this topic. Will the game have enough content to keep players in the game and active? And as a player, uh, what does this mean for you? At this point in the game, it's, it, it's very early. And it's hard to have any expectations at all without seeing more of the game. Um, but what are your expectations as a player, generally speaking, when it comes to content updates? Yeah, so as we know so far, the game, the game has been in the development for over five years. And I think uh, over this period of time, uh, it is fair to assume that they have uh, created enough content for at least... Mm, it's hard to tell, but, but I would say a year of game time for the whole community. Maybe, maybe less, probably less, but but in in general, for the um, let's say community and the so to, so to speak meta to form, I think they have a year of game time. But uh, as you said, it might be not enough for some players, and they can start quitting after that. So, um, I think I think that, well, again, uh, we don't know much yet about the game, and we don't know much about the developer's capabilities yet. So, uh, it's just a matter of trust, honestly. And I trust in artificial, artificial core in that matter, because Mm, well, I, they're sort of pretty open with the community, and I think they will listen to uh, what we have to say well, and they will make sure to implement that as quickly as possible, as, so to not uh, scare off the community. But um, if we go farther than core punk and say about content updates in general, um, I know there are some games, specifically Overwatch, that does uh, content updates in a really radical manner. They can change up the game to something completely different from what it has started from. And I really do not like uh, that approach. Sure, it uh, shapes things up, it makes it different, it makes it original, but it can scare off a lot of uh, people who enjoyed the game a specific way before that. Uh, sort of uh, this sort of thing happened to me in Overwatch, and I don't play it as much anymore. However, my favorite uh, character Reinhardt hasn't been changed that much. That's because, and because of that, I still enjoy playing him. But. Uh, 
to it's sort of a tie between our previous discussion, I think, uh, the payment models and the content updates, because uh, there lies the question, what content do you make free and what do you make paid? Like, if it is uh, some kind of new character, maybe, would you make it pay for playing that? Would you make the players pay for playing that character? Or do you publish it for the whole community? And what kind of benefits can both of those uh, way, uh, both of those paths uh, lead to? And uh, basically, it is just uh, a question: what you uh, log behind a paywall, in my opinion. If you go with the something like Terraria, which is a single-player sandbox game, and make all the updates completely free which add a lot of stuff each time. It's very good uh, PR, but it's not very good uh, financial question, in my opinion, financial decision. You brought up some really interesting points in there and, and took the conversation in a direction that I hadn't thought about and that I didn't consider till now. So when I, I, look, at this conver- or I look at this question, um, I'm thinking just straight up like, content like pve story related content bigger worlds this kind of stuff things that are added to the game but you brought it with the perspective of a, a pvp player and uh and balancing and uh meta and um you know all these aspects of the game that are also super important and what does what do updates actually mean for a game this is a whole other conversation does it just mean more content or does it mean that the game uh, internally is completely changed. Uh, this happened with Star Wars Galaxies, this uh, old school game that I love so dear. Uh, when the game first came out, it was completely different. Um, there was no Jedis in the game, just as it was in the movies at that time. And to become a Jedi, you had to do this like rigorous um, content in the game to get. And then I believe uh, the Jedis were actually permadeath. So if you died with this character, then you would lose everything. And it was only for that one class. Then World of Warcraft came along. And Sony realized that uh, their game model wasn't uh, a good one for making the most money from the game. And they completely changed the game uh, in what was called uh, the new game update, um, which basically broke the hearts of all the players who were playing it before, uh, who still have their forum signatures, you know, ripping the day that uh, the new game update was installed. And this new game update essentially made the game just like World of Warcraft in in the structure. And this is completely game-changing, and this is what you brought up. I mean, not to that extreme, but for sure, Overwatch made changes to the game, made significant changes to a lot of the characters that completely changed how they were played and if they were viable or not. And this is a, another uh, part of this that you we also need to consider. Um, will there be enough updates and will those be updates be constructive uh, for the players that are playing the game? And uh, this is a great, great point you brought up there. Uh, the other one as well 
is uh, just the the content itself um, and how this comes out and how this plays into the payment model as well. Uh, we as gamers can be more lenient with the developer and how often they update if we're not hit with a huge buy-to-play cost up front or if we're not paying a massive subscription. But the more that you pay into the game up front, I think the more that uh, gamers are going to expect that the updates come frequently and that they are similar to the vision that they have at players as players. Uh, but this is another hard thing because as you've seen in the Discord already, uh, with only a uh, announcement trailer and with only some follow-up art and some lore uh, for the game, we uh, still see a lot of um, fracturing between the community on what they expect, like take the WASD uh, click-to-move uh, conversation, for example. This is... in immensely uh, part of this conversation because this is something that if uh, at some point the developer um, either is, isn't is listening to the community or is listening to a vocal minority or is listening to... Uh, you know their their favorites or whatever it may be. I'm not saying artificial core will be like this at all. I'm just saying, um, generally speaking, as a developer, um, you you could at some point make a change to the game. For example, changing it to WASD um, that significantly impacts uh, a huge amount of your players. Um, while maybe benefiting other players, it's maybe not the best decision for the entire community. So this is a, a whole other part of the conversation that you brought up. So it's very interesting um, because when I read this again, when uh, Devalin posted the question, I read it just as like, um, will we get new mounts? Will we get new characters to play? Will we get new uh, places to explore? Will we get new raids and dungeons and stuff like this? But there's there's a lot of levels to this conversation. So uh, nicely said. Devalin, what do you think about this? You brought it up and you've been playing a lot of MMOs. So uh, what's this mean to you? And um, And what do you think about the conversation so far? Well, yeah, okay. I mean, this topic, well, we went all over the places now. Um, I would say that, well, my first, my first, my thought when I actually posted this question was that I just want frequently, so just to say why I thought about this, but I want frequently updates like what they actually do in a game like Elder Scrolls Online, they they have all these minor updates that actually just add sometimes two dungeons, a mount, some new armor, and so on. And then every time they had four of these minor updates every third month, then every year they have this big update that, of course, is behind a paywall. And for that, that's that's what I hope Corpunk also will have, so that the game don't doesn't die. So it at least have some kind of a new thing, some just some kind of new little update every third month. And then every year, second year, we can get some kind of a new big update that makes the game a bit new shaky. But as you know, you, know, you both now are talking about Bows and Dragon, um, this with the game actually changing in a whole different way. Uh, I mean, it. I guess it depends because, I mean, if we all play Core Punk and after one week, we all like chatting privately without artificial core seeing it like, what what the hell is this game? What what is going on? Then I guess it's fine that we actually like after half year or something gets in, like a patch that changed the whole game, so we all be like, oh, this is good. I mean, everyone is talking about the game speed and core punk. Everyone is like, this game is too slow. Blah blah blah. 
But what is about if maybe in then after three months they actually increase the game speed one hundred percent? I would say that's a pretty big change. And then suddenly, of course, you have all the, the players with a very slow mouse moving. They will be like, "Oh, this is too fast now." <laughs> and young people who like really love to play League of Legends and Fortnite and just you know really lo- run around f- quick will be like, "Yes, this is now a game for me." Um, but a game that has changed totally. I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't comment on the Overwatch part because I I have the game, but I never really played. Um, but World of Warcraft have never. Re- I mean, they every every time they come up with a new expansion, they pretty much change the game. Uh, on oh, you you supposed to do this in the old days, but now you do it this way. And oh, this you you supposed to do now you do it this way. And you just you just have to live with it. Uh, so. I, I follow you that it would be a very big thing if they just suddenly change the whole game, but I, 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 I don't see it because I can't. I mean, again, now I'm probably coming with this bump again. I can't think of well, okay, you just said the Star Wars game, but other MMOs and than that, I can't see they actually made like a big, big, big change. Like you know, I can't remember a game a MMO where it was that game, but after a couple of years, it's now another. You know, it's like it's changed a, a lot. Um, of, of course, of course. Okay, okay. If we look at World of Warcraft Classic, well, a vanilla, and look at the game today, it's a whole other game. If you ask me, I'm much more into the game of how it is today. And what I mean, I enjoyed playing vanilla back 15 years ago, uh, but that was the game then. And now, of course, the game is, I would say, it has changed the, the way people are today. We are a bit more greedy and needy, and now the game is more like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great topic. It really, you know, it, at, at its core, um, you know, it, it does tie into what you said, Tavalin, as far as is the content uh, delivery just going to be enough and at a good pace to keep people interested. Um, but then there's also this other whole side of it that Dragum uh, brought to attention uh, and whether or not that content, regardless of how fast or at what pace it's delivered, um, is the right content as well. And I think that's the, the best way to put it. Is it the right content for everyone? And is it coming at a good steady pace? And you know, if it, is it the right content for everyone? That's a tough one because... Um, you know, gamers are traditionally all over the place on what they want and what they expect. And, um, you know, only time will tell. I think this is, you know, beyond this, it's a bit early, uh, you know, to continue the conversation um, because we really need to see what the game is like and uh, what the first closed beta will be like. And then I think we can revisit the the conversation then because I think at that point then we can start to build expectations of uh, what we would like to see as far as pacing and type of content and quality of content goes. All right, that has been episode three of the CoreCast podcast. The Core Punk conversation continues tonight with Devalin and Dragum. I've been your host, Boast, and it's been a pleasure having you both. Devalin, anything you want to say to your fans or to the community out there? Well, thanks to everyone who's uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, share your thoughts. Come with some more questions you want us to talk about. 
And else, uh, well, let's have a little hype while we wait for the game. That's right. And Dragum, welcome to Corecast, your first episode here, episode three. It's been an absolute pleasure having you as well. I can't wait to hear your uh, conversation again in the future. So hopefully we can schedule something up. Uh, is there anything you want to say to the community, to the devs, uh, anyone out there listening to this conversation? I just wanted to say to the devs, keep at it. We trust you. That's right. That is very well said. And I think uh, at least from the three of us, we, we definitely share that opinion. And, uh, you know, the conversations we have and the discussions we have, again, are um, just from our experience and, and just us being able to have the chance to uh, vocalize our feelings about these things and uh, to share uh, what we uh, enjoy and, and what we hope to see from the game and uh, what we like so far. Uh, in this limited view so far. This has been the CoreCast podcast. It's a CorePunk podcast. It's been episode three. Again, I'm your host, Boast, with Devalin and Dragum on tonight. You can catch more CoreCast on our Discord. We post the links to the podcast there. Uh, we also take topics and suggestions for guests on the Discord. The link is in the description. We also have a Reddit page where we post the podcast as well and answer any questions there in the subreddit. It's subreddit CoreCast podcast, and you can find that also in the description. Again, thanks to Devalin and Dragum. Uh, their uh, descriptions and any links that they want Want to provide to you uh, will be in the uh, conversation as well in the description and then shout out to Michael for helping me get all of the audio stuff sorted on my home computer once again we do thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time on the Corecast podcast Corecast